So this morning, my topic is walking on water. And it's found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. I'm going to read, I decided to read from the King, New King James. I have, I went to Bible college with the King James Version, which was pretty much all that they had back then. Uh, New King James is a little easier for most people to understand, and I like it better. It's not to, not to say that any other version is wrong or any worse than the King James, uh, although some churches say the King James is God's word, period. And I've had uh, people leave my church and say, because I don't use the King James, the New King James was not acceptable to them. So I'm going to read from that. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. said, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was there alone. But the boat now was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if that is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those that were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Before I get into this message, that's powerful prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you that you truly are the Son of God and you truly have done miracles in our lives and in many other lives. I pray that this message, that our ears will be open, our hearts will be receptive to that which you, through the Holy Spirit, will teach us. Draw us closer to you and give us the urge, Lord, to do that which you want. So, Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, before I get really into this message, we need to go back prior and see what just had transpired because it's important for us to know what happened beforehand to see what's happening now because even Jesus made a note of this later on and I'll point this out. We find out, first of all, we know that John the Baptist was just beheaded and Jesus had found out. And being human like we are, he probably felt the loss of John the Baptist and he needed to go out there by himself to a lonely place. So he decided to, you know, his popularity was growing big time by now. And people have seen he was doing the healings, he was doing the teaching and all of that. And there were crowds were always gathering around Jesus. So he wanted to be alone. So him and his disciples get up early. They're going to catch the boat, cut across 
quickly bypass a lot of the villages, go to a place that he could find rest and seclude and be alone. Well, that didn't happen because as he got into the boat, the villagers saw him and they recognized it was Jesus. So they all gathered and started running with their around the lake to go follow him. So they meet him on the other side when he arrives. And now here's this crowd. Now he tells us there was 5,000 men. I'm not sure if 5,000 at this point gathered or people kept coming, but from all the villages around, people are coming to see Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on them. He no longer was deciding what he wanted to do, but he was now concerned about you, the people. So he stopped to teach them, to heal them, and to do miracles with them. Now we find out that as the day progressed, it's getting later in the day, and the disciples decide, Master, it's time to send them home. And Jesus said, no, let's feed them first. They're hungry. They haven't had anything all day to eat. They've been here since early morning. Now it's past lunchtime, past noon. And they, you know, so. And so Jesus tells them, no, we're going to feed them. And what does Philip or Andrew tells Jesus? Even if we had $2,000, $20,000, if we had all this money, I couldn't go to the village and buy enough food to feed all these people. And you said, we're going to feed them. All in. So Andrew comes. All I could find is five barley loaves, small barley loaves, and two fishes from a boy. And you said, we're going to feed them. We're going to feed them. We're going to feed 5,000 people with five little loaves of bread and two fishes. Hmm. Now, Ken and I, for number of years have helped out with the Salvation Army. Salvation Army number one item is they, in disasters and everything is to feed people. So we're accustomed to seeing a lot of people to feed. Now, let's just do the math. Okay, there's 5,000 and they say plus women and children. So now if we add in one more in each, we've got 15,000 and we add and the Jews never had just one child, so uh, 20,000. <laughs> so we, let's put it 20,000. So if 20,000 you divide by simple math, 12, what you're going to come out with? 1,666.6 or 1,667 people to feed by one person, going to feed that many. Or if you, they had help, let's put it there, 24. So that's still 833 people to feed by 24 people. How long does it take to feed and then collect? I'm going to take you an hour. I'm going to take like two hours. Now it's late in the day. It's going to take quite a while for one person to feed over a thousand people. You know, I figure three, four hours minimum, even if they, they sat down in fifties and a hundreds, it's going to take a while to just go out physically, serve them, and physically go back and pick up the baskets. And I know when the Lord broke and blessed that he didn't break each room, you know, for 20,000, he broke and put it in and the baskets are full. It's the only way possible. But, so that's one miracle that we overlook when we talk about 
the feeding of the 5,000. Whoever look, how long does it take? Because he had time, as the Bible tells us, that at, after he fed them, what did they do? He told his disciples to get on the boat and go back to where they started from. Hey, these were experienced fishermen. These are people that knew the sea. If I'm looking up and I see the possible storm, do I want to go? Do I want to head out into the sea? No. Plus, think about this. I've been with Jesus. I've seen him heal the lame. I've seen him cast out demons. I've seen him do all these miracles. I've seen him take five barley loaves and two fish and feed 20,000 people and have 12 baskets left. I'm on a spiritual high. I'm feeling wonderful. Do I want to leave Jesus? No. No. But the Bible tells us something wonderful here. He tells us that Jesus made them go. He made them go. Now, why would Jesus put his disciples in such a predicament? Why would Jesus force his disciples? In verse 22 of chapter 14, he said, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. You know, looking at the Greek, it, it, it tells me that he insisted that they go. He forced them to move. Why would Jesus now put his disciples into a situation that they were going to be physically exhausted, almost drowning, almost dying? Why do you think Jesus would do that? They had just been on this mountain high. Tell me, why would our Lord put us or them into such a dangerous predicament? Well, the real question is, why would Jesus put you, who experienced such wonderful things, blessings from the, the Lord, that you're on the mountaintop and toss you down into the valley? Why would he allow your marriage to start to fall apart when God brought you guys together? Why would you lose your wonderful job that God was paying you large money? He opened all the doors so you could get this job and all of a sudden, it's gone. You're laid off. They no longer want you. Why would you who've been faithful serving God, come down with cancer, come down with an incurable disease. Why would God allow that? Woe is me. God's not paying attention. I've been faithful. You know, we say, why, why, why? Why is this happening to me, Lord? I've been faithful. But the real question here should not be why, but what? What is God trying to teach me? 
What is God trying to teach me? You know, in James chapter 1, verses, verse 3 actually, James is a wonderful book. I love, it's one of my favorite books. The book of fate, not book of trials. It's the testing of your fate. God puts you into this predicament to test your fate. Not to fail, but to test who, what you are, to make you a stronger Christian, to make you a better Christian. God is testing your faith when you go through these things so that you become a strong, mature Christian. Why at this time, when everything seems to be going so well, does things go bad? You say, I pray. And my prayer seems to bounce off the roof. I seek God and he doesn't seem to answer me. He seems far, far away. Well, let me give you a personal experience. After graduating from Bible college, I, we moved, Kenny and I, from Southern California to Hawaii where I helped pastor a church in Hawaii. We moved back a couple years later so I could work on, hopefully work on my master's. God had other plans. But when we moved back, God seemed to have moved his hand from me. For two years, I prayed. My prayer seemed to just bounce right off the ceiling. I had no feelings from God. I didn't know that God existed. I had, where are you, Lord? Why did you put me in this predicament? Why did you not care? But I learned this one most important lesson. I do not serve God by feelings, but by faith, by his word. I've learned to trust every word that's written in this book. For it is true and he is faithful. That's what I've learned more than anything else in the world. Have you? Yes, I still go to trials and tribulations. But I know who now I can trust in. Without a doubt, he is always there. So Jesus was teaching his disciples an important lesson about faith. The harmony of the gospel gives us another version of this in Mark. Chapter 6, verse 48. It tells us this little word here in verse 48. Matthew 6, not Mark. Is that when Jesus looked that early in the morning when Jesus got up from praying, he looked at he looked down, and the disciples were, they tell us, two to three miles out at sea, fighting against the water. And Jesus saw them. No, I can't in the early morning hours see past the door, more or less two or three miles away, and see them struggling. You know, if I saw there, I'd just see a boat going up and down, bobbing. But he saw the disciples fighting you know, they move a foot forward and they get pushed back two feet. You know, it's, it's just 
marvelous that in the midst of all of this, Jesus sees us. And the second point we need to know, whenever we are in trouble, whenever everything looks bleak and hopeless, Jesus is there and he reacts. He sees the disciples. He sees the trouble that they're in. And he reacts. So in the midst of this fierce storm, in the midst of your family crisis, in the midst of your lost employment, in the midst of your medical problems, in the midst of all of this, Jesus sees this clearly. And he knows exactly what you need and when you need it. So Jesus decided the disciples needed him. So what he does, he takes the quickest route to the boat. He just walks on the water. One step at a time. And now think of it. Here's this disciples rowing, trying to get the boat over to the other side. It's not that far of a journey. They should have taken a couple hours and they would have succeeded and gone across. But now it's, they've been fighting for about eight hours. And they're exhausted. And they look out and they see this figure appears and disappears. Because the waves going up and down. Their boat's going up and down. And the wind's blowing. And what is the first word they say? It's a ghost! Wouldn't you? You know, I, I've been in Hawaii, growing up in Hawaii, I've been around fishermen. You know, some of the best ghost stories come from fishermen. Why? What else do you have to do if you're waiting around for fish to bite? Or for them to get a net? But tell stories. And they tell some of the best ghost stories you ever heard. <laughs> yeah, go talk to a fisherman. I haven't tell you some ghost stories. They have some wonderful ghost stories. You know, in Hawaii, they still see ghosts and believe in ghosts. Every time I go back to Hawaii, my sisters, who are Christians, talk about seeing spirits and all that. See, Hawaii was a polynistic religion. Every religion around comes. They believed and worship all these gods, and they still reside in the island. They still frighten the people. Don't ever underestimate the power of the other side too. Greater is he that is in us. There's some power in the, in the world too. So let's just be careful. And Jesus knew that they were afraid. He knew that they were scared. So what's the first words out of Jesus' mouth? He said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take comfort. Don't be afraid. It is I. You know the word I in the Greek is ego I me, which is the same word God used to Moses when Moses asked, Who shall I say is sending me? And God said, I am sending you. Jesus is telling his disciples, Be courageous. It's the great I am, God in the flesh. There is absolutely no reason to be afraid if you're trusting in me, if you're willing to walk with me. 
So no matter what circumstances God place you in, you can take courage that he will work it out for his glory and your good. Jesus knew that he was going to send them into a bad storm. Jesus knew that they were going to be out there for a while. He knew that they would be battling for their life out at sea. So why did he put them in the situation that was difficult? And trying and all that? Because he needed their faith, needed to grow. And they needed to be courageous. So why does God allow us to go through trials and tribulations? And hardships and battles? Because he wants your faith to grow. He wants you to be able to withstand anything that the devil. Because this world is but a vapor that your life will be gone. And then we'll be in heaven forever. You know that? Jesus clearly says the most confident word. It is I. It is I. And, and it boggles my mind when I start to think, how do you hear someone talking in a storm? I could barely hear if Luke was starting to talk to me from there, if the wind's blowing real hard and waves are bashing against here the boat and I'm standing, I wouldn't be able to hear him very well, more or less, way down and he's walking. Yet all of them heard. And only one, Peter, decided to answer. Oh, my friend Peter. Good old A-type personality. You know, Peter was the type that you would love to have around, you know. Hey, Peter, we're going to go skydiving. I'm there. Let's go bungee jumping. I'll be the first one over. No. That was Peter. First in line. You tell Peter, I dare you. Peter, haha, I'll do it. You know? Yet Peter, this time, did something wonderful. He asked Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And he waited for Jesus to say the simple words, come. You know, come really means being obedient. And that's hard for a lot of people. You know, this 11 sat in the boat and didn't come. They wouldn't get up because it was too difficult to move. You know, it requires faithfulness. It's like this cliff climber who'd been climbing up the mountainside and he slipped and he caught the branch just below him and he was hanging. That's all he had. He couldn't grab onto any ledge, anything else. It was, he looked up, there was a hundred feet above him and he looked down, there was a hundred feet and he started to cry, help me. And he heard the voice of God say, let go and I'll catch you. He looked up a hundred feet, he looked down a hundred feet and he yelled out, does anybody have a rope? That's happened to us all the time. God said, do this. And we say, okay, but I need all these other instruments, how to do it. You know that? Obeying, obeying Jesus 
is a risky business. It can appear very risky. So, you know, we like to see and map out the situation on which we are going. We like to know every step there is. You know, the African gazelle is a very wonderful animal. It can jump straight up 10 feet into the air. And while it's running, it can jump 30 feet right across. But you know, they can keep a gazelle in a pen with its three-foot fence. Why? Because the gazelle will not jump where he cannot see where it's going to land, where his feet's going to land. It has to see where its feet's going to land before it jumps. <coughs> like a lot of Christians, God tells you, I want you to go, and we won't go unless we know how it's going to happen. And all the situation, God tells you, I need you to do this. And you say, okay, but I need to spend, have, raise the money before we do it. God didn't say you to raise the money. He said, I will provide. I had a small church. And never once did I lack the finances to pay our bills and our support. I never asked for money. But God always, always provided adequately. Over and over and over again. Because it was his will. Understand that. It is risky. To depend upon yourself. More than to depend upon God. For it's hundreds times better. To follow God. Than to follow yourself. So Peter. Took a step off the boat. And since Peter knew was a fisherman, he knew how to swim. So I figured if he's going to go down, he's going to go down swimming. Yet, when he stepped off the boat, woo, it's like dry land. It's hard. So he walked toward Jesus. And the Bible tells me something very interesting. Peter had taken his eyes off the Lord and he saw the wind. He saw the problems that was around him. I've always wondered, I've looked at many different translations. All of them say he saw the wind. A lot of them adds, if you see the italics word, they added something to it to make it sound better, but boisterous. You know, he saw the result of the wind. But nowhere that I know that in a physical world that I can see the wind. I can see the result of the wind. But he saw the wind. Interesting. Seeing the wind is not possible unless you're in a supernatural state. Now let me clarify, this is the version from Reverend Clark Gomes' translation. It may not be 100% uh, ordained, <laughs> but what happened to Peter was when he stepped out of the boat, he moved from the physical realm of existence into a supernatural area 
in which walking on water, feeding 5,000, doing miracles, healing the lame, healing all this, is possible. It's possible. So he started to walk in the supernatural toward Jesus, one step at a time. But he saw the wind, and he saw the problems around him, and his mind said, this is not possible. So what happened? The Bible also gives another error. He began to sink, down to his knees, down to his ankles. You know, I grew up in Hawaii. I know if you step in water, you go from up there all the way down, and you're swimming. You know, you don't go a little at a time. You go boom, and you're down, up, down under. Not Peter. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, help me. And Jesus just reached out and said, come on, Peter. You know, God didn't even condemn Peter for no faith. Peter had the faith of a mustard seed. He was able to step out of the boat and move. But he didn't have enough faith to sustain his walk with the Lord. And that's what happens with a lot of churches today. We get saved and we do one thing and we don't have enough faith to sustain our walk. And we become useless Christians. Unable to do what God wants us to do. You know, walking on water is wonderful. But it's far more wonderful to walk with Jesus. So after seeing and losing his concentration, and Peter sank, and Jesus reached down and got his hand, they walked into the boat, and everything got calm again. And all the eleven on board, praising God, now they recognize it was a miracle. It is a miracle. It's a miracle that God doesn't judge our failures. He wants us to be victorious. God just told Peter, Oh, you don't have enough faith, Peter. Oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? Why? You know, when you're in God's realm and there's no doubt and you can lay hands on the lame and they be healed. You can do things that ordinarily we would not be able to do in the physical because you're walking in the spiritual. That's what God is trying to impress upon us. Help me. Help me to walk in those difficult situations. Peter was wonderful. So what happened to the 11 disciples that was in the boat? Did they not hear Jesus? Did they enjoy struggling together to get to the other shore? You know, a lot of times you said, if you guys all pull together, it's so much easier. But you can all pull together in the wrong direction. You know, 
I've been told many times, not all open doors are from God. Some of them are elevator shafts. You know, I would have expected Philip and Andrew to have gotten out of the boat too. But they didn't. Why? Mark 6.52 gives us why. It says, For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. You can get so engrossed and see so much miracles happening around you that it becomes normal, that you don't care about it anymore. Instead of realizing what God is doing is something that's extraordinary. Extraordinary. And he wants you to be able to do it also. Their hearts were hardened. This happens so often in the church today. We see the miracles. Yet no one wants to get out of the boat and serve God. So what happened to most people is that at one time or another, you've stepped out of the boat. And you failed. And you said, no more. That's it for me. I've done. You tried teaching the kids zone and the kids were horrible. No more. I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. You know. They gave you a Sunday school class. And they were asking questions that you didn't know. Oh, I don't want anything to do with it. You tried to witness. And you failed. They don't want to hear it. Your neighbors, your friends, your family members, all don't want to, they want you to stop. So you say, it's not for me. See, one thing I know about Peter is that he didn't give up. He continued on to be the cornerstone of the church today. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. So God time places you and me in trouble situations to test our faith. Failure is just a part of growing our faith. You know, I always give God the praises for all the victories he's done. But do you know, I've learned that in my failures, if I've done all I can, I say, God, these failures are in your hands too. You take the glory, you take the failures. I'm just doing what you told me to do. You know, it makes it so much easier to walk for the Lord that way. Don't blame yourself for failures. Get up and try it again. This morning, I'm going to challenge you to step out of the boat. If you have failed before, step out of the boat. If you're having financial trouble, spiritual problems, physical problems, emotional problems, step out of the boat. If you hear the voice of God clearly in the midst of your trouble now, step out of the boat. God does not make failures. 
He brings victory and peace to all those who step out of the boat. You know, there's a crusade coming up this January, February. Explore God, Chicago. It requires everybody to step out of the boat and do things for the Lord. Let me give you one more example. A number of years ago, probably five, maybe ten years ago, I was doing visitation at the hospital to one of my members that had gone into the hospital. Now, this member had gone into the hospital quite frequently. She had frequent flyer miles she would have been upgraded to the best rooms. And quite frankly, you know, you get to the point, well, do I really have to go? And as pastor, you know you have to go. So I decided that I was going to go and visit her. So I did. I stopped and parked and got out of my car. Well, just happened as I got out of the car, well, it just didn't happen, God's plan. There was this lady that I helped pastor in the church before who got out of the car and said she was there to see an elderly man that she had been caretakers of for a number of years. And he was dying. And she didn't know if he was a believer or not. She had spent maybe five, ten years with this guy and didn't know. She asked about come and talk to him. And I said, I would. So I went in, did my visitation, went over to his room. Well, she also said that he would be either in or out of consciousness. She wouldn't know there. Well, when I arrived, God has his ordination. He woke up. He was not, he was not unconscious anymore. But he, he couldn't talk because he had all the tubes in it, down his throat and everything and everything to keep him alive. But he could understand. And we could communicate through hands and eye signals. So I was blunt with him. I told him, you know, this day you probably will pass on to the eternal life. Are you ready to go to heaven or not? And then I asked him, do you know Jesus? Do you want to know him? And I led this guy to the Lord. The peace that came upon him when he accepted Jesus and the calm and the smile on his face. Then he drifted back into unconsciousness and I left. Three hours later, he was dead. Understand, here was a caretaker who had spent five years with this man, never once asked him about Jesus. Think about that. We have people out there in this society that we need to ask about Jesus. Are you willing to step out of the boat and do what God wants you?